Welcome back to the Mandarin Blueprint Podcast. My name is Phil Crimmins. I'm covering for Luke today. Uh, he's unavailable today, and also I will be unavailable next week. So two weeks in a row of me. Apologies for those of you who uh, were hoping to hear Luke's dulcet tones. He does have such a nice speaking voice, and I unfortunately have this rather American voice. But not to worry, we'll cover some really interesting topics that you guys provided so that from that angle, it really doesn't matter who's uh, talking about it because you guys give us such great comments and questions each week that are quite intellectually stimulating if you are a Mandarin learner. And that's what the Mandarin Blueprint Bo Podcast is all about. We're interacting with the people who are really engaging with learning Chinese on a micro level, but also at a large level. And what I mean by that is like, or a sort of a wide level. Um, and what I mean by that is that we have lessons in our course that get very specific. They're talking about an individual character component, not even an individual Chinese character, just a component of that character. And uh, we have lessons that relate to coming up with a mnemonic device that represents an individual pinyin letter. So we get really micro with our lessons. But what happens is that as you build up the micro pieces, you start to develop, you know, sort of a a foundation of a building of knowledge, you know, and it, to some degree, this is literally true in your brain. Now, I'm no neuroscientist, this is all speculative, but, you know, when you build up new uh, sort of neural pathways from learning anything from the moment you're born until you, you know, continue to grow and, and learn new things, there are structures in your brain, you know, they're very small, <laughs> they're, they're microscopic, but they can create pathways for energy to move through and give that one or a zero uh, response that neurons are wont to do. And then, you know, you add Chinese to it by getting at that micro level and saying, okay, here's a brand new thing that does relate to the building of Chinese. And we're going to connect it to the things that you already know in the form of imagining objects, imagining people, imagining places, uh, imagining actions, memories, emotional memory, things that mattered a lot to you in your life uh, that you will never forget. Well, if there's something that you'll never forget, that means there's a solid structure in your brain already. Now you can attach some Chinese to it. So a lot of what we do is help you search your own mind, which is a vast uh, panoply of neural structures and find the spot that is easiest to attach a new bit of information. And then what happens naturally over time is that Chinese starts to have its own structure in your brain. And then you'll, you'll see that you can go from knowing nothing about Chinese to knowing thousands of characters and to being able to speak to somebody and have a good back and forth conversation, which actually relates to the first comment, uh, that we're going to talk about today. But, uh, that's what the Mandarin Blueprint's all about. We bring in the questions and comments that come from either the micro lessons or the big breakthrough moments that people have, and we discuss them on the podcast. We try to give encouragement to people who might be feeling a little bit down on the journey because, you know, if you're going to do anything, it's going to take years to complete. There's going to be moments where you feel a bit despondent, where you feel a bit of despair. Like, am I going to make it this whole way up the mountain? But, uh, of course, when you can see that there are other people who are also on the journey that are having their breakthrough moments, then that can sometimes be enough to get you out of the depths and in back into your progress. And 
these are just natural parts of the journey. That's why we want to have the Mandarin Blueprint community interacting with each other in this way. And Luke and I can be conduits for that uh, sort of sharing of the journey. And, you know, when you get to individual questions about a specific lesson, that's the type of thing that will pay it forward because you leave a, le you leave a question on a lesson we respond to it either during the week via a Loom video or a quick comment, or we talk about it on the podcast. It's leaving a little bit of gold, a little bit of a map for anybody else who's coming up the same path that you're coming up. So, you know, I really do like the analogy of making a long journey up a, a mountain range and, you know, you... Uh, you leave a little something for the next person. You say, hey, here I got a little bit stuck, uh, but maybe you won't if I leave you these these instructions. And it's quite um, admirable how well people care. How, it's just people clearly care about whoever's going to come next because a lot of the comments that are left aren't specifically something that uh, is going to help them as an individual right now. It's just something they recognize and they want to share it with other people. It's really, um, I admire so many of you for that. It's it's quite a wonderful thing to observe because it's selfless. You know, I mean, I suppose it's selfish in the way that you're making sure that you've uh, solidified the knowledge for yourself by writing it out to someone, but it's mostly just a selfless act because, you know, you could just keep going and instead you go, okay, I'm going to leave this little nugget of wisdom, this nugget that I learned here in case somebody else in the future will benefit from it. And so that's why Luke and I will always be motivated to do this podcast, uh, as long as, you know, this is still our main focus in life because, uh, it's, we would feel like we're letting people down by not bringing this stuff up. So let's get into it a little bit today. But before we get into the actual comments and questions, I have some updates for you guys. So in the previous podcast, I had mentioned that we had all these things that were like almost done and that I wanted to, you know, there's that state you can get into sometimes where you're just like frustrated because you have four or five projects that are almost done and you're not quite done yet. Well, it was almost like, my saying that gave me a little bit of a pep talk because last week I worked pretty pretty hard, even for my uh, relatively high standards in that department, and was able to finish up several things that uh, needed to be done. So let's go through them and talk about how they're going to help you, whether you're on the course or not. Uh, if you're not on the course, you'll still find these um, updates to be interesting. But if you are in the course, uh, these will be very helpful to you. So which order to take these in? How about I do it in the order that I finished them? So um, the first is that phase two is now upgraded. Uh, and also there were some, even some adjustments to phase one in this. So Luke and I wanted to make phase two more powerful uh, and give you guys better solutions for learning Chinese vocabulary words. So as a reminder, the Mandarin Blueprint method follows the this structure, this sort of the pre-phase, the prep phase, which is pronunciation mastery, learning all of the syllables of Mandarin Chinese and how to articulate them just like a native Mandarin speaker. We move that knowledge and the knowledge of pinyin into phase one, which focuses on characters and components for the most part. Now, there are five two-character words in phase one that are very high frequency, but we don't focus too much on them. We just give you some hints and we provide you images for those 
the main focus is characters and components. Now in phase two, you continue with your practice of characters and components. The whole course is accumulative, meaning that you once you learn how to do something, you keep doing it, and then you learn an additional skill on top of that once you've spent enough time. So you enter phase two around character 47. It's level seven through 12 of the course. And this is where we now give you even better instructions on how to learn compound words. Compound words, the definition of a compound word is pretty simple. It's just when there's more than one character and the characters maintain their meaning. So there's words like chocolate, chocolate. Now, chocolate does not mean, is it's not three characters who have different meanings combining to come to the, the understanding of the word chocolate. It's just imitating the English word, right? Chocolate, chocolate right? That being the case, that is not a compound word because those three characters aren't combining meanings. They're just imitating an English sound. And that's what we called a multiple syllable morpheme. There's only one morpheme, chocolate. That's it. But a word like, uh, or like there's a character, draw, which means table. If I say shu draw or tan draw, those are compound words. Why? Because Shu zhuo means desk, the book table. Tan zhuo means dinner table, the meal table, right? So you're taking the two characters and their meanings, combining them to create a new word. That is a compound word. Now, we perhaps didn't focus as much on this at the beginning because so many Chinese words are really obvious. Chinese, this is not the hardest layer of the language because if you know the characters, Many words are just clear as day. Oh, the meal table. Well, that must be the dinner table. <laughs> you know, the book table, a desk. Wow. Um, you know, half year, ban means, wouldn't you know it, six months, right? Like, so there's a lot of words that are really obvious. So to some degree, we wanted to make sure that we had the harder layers of the language on lockdown. However, we then moved into phase two and said, all right, now that we have phase two, uh, phase one and pronunciation mastery really well uh, done, we're going to do phase two and make it even clearer. So there are some words that aren't as obvious, that aren't as on their face really clear. So what do you do to remember them? Well, we made a vocab mnemonics cheat sheet. We made four theoretical lessons called the logic of living links. They're the first lesson in the first four levels of phase two. And that's also where you can download the vocab mnemonics cheat sheet. And we also made all of the new vocabulary unlocked lessons. We reshot them and applied the techniques from the vocab mnemonics cheat sheet to give you several different ways to learn comp compound words. And these lessons are really good because we were kind of exhaustive with it. We were like, okay, you know, you don't need to use all the techniques possible on every given word, but just for the sake of education, we went through the cheat sheet as much as possible for each one. We just said, okay, here's a new word that you're learning. Uh, you're learning the characters or the words dan shi and zhi shi, which mean uh, but as a conjunction, B-U-T, and uh, only zhi shi. Uh, and so how can you learn these words? And we exhaustively went through the list. Do they sound like anything? Uh, are, do they trigger any memories for you? Are there any cultural tropes you can glean from to help you learn these? And so what naturally happens as a result of going through this is that you can 
sort of get the principles of how to do it and then learn from there. So I posted an announcement on phase two. Uh, and if you are in any phase of the course, except for phase one, if you're in phase one, then just keep going and you'll eventually reach uh, these new lessons. But if you're in phase two, or anywhere else in the course, I'd highly recommend going back and checking out these lessons because it will make learning new vocabulary words even easier. So that's the first update that is now complete. Second update, as we have talked about on several occasions at this point, as of July 2021, it's the end of April 2021 now, uh, the Han which is the an institution in charge of making the which is the HSK test, has updated their HSK leveling system. So for years and years, it was the HSK 1 through 6. And the HSK 1 had about 150 words. It wasn't much to it. The HSK 6 was really tough and was like the highest level that they had uh, for years. They've now expanded it to be nine levels and have redefined what each level is. The HSK-1 went from having 150 words to now 500 words. So now passing the HSK-1, uh, you know, while it's not that difficult to do, it's still, you know, it's not such a simple task. You have to learn, you know, 500 words at least. So there were about 50 words in the new HSK-1 that we either were planning on teaching in the intermediate course at some point, uh, but we thought, okay, it's the HSK-1, we'll make sure that these are in the foundation course so that for sure, when you're finished the foundation course, passing the HSK-1 and probably the HSK-2 are uh, fairly easy. And so we integrated these extra 50 words into the foundation course. Now, if you're beyond the foundation course, I made a Google Sheet that I put into an announcement. So you guys should have already received this, but uh, I put into an announcement a Google Sheet where you can just see a rundown of all of them. I've updated the Anki decks. Uh, so if you go to any of the Anki deck lessons, which are at the beginning of each phase, uh, then you can re-download them. And uh, you know, once you re-download the Anki deck, if you re-download an Anki deck, you just open the file and Anki should uh, recognize that you've already reviewed these several cards, but these cards are new, so we'll add just those cards and not change the cards you've already learned. Uh, sometimes it doesn't work properly like that, which is why I'm very glad that we're working on our own solution to flashcards, because when that happens, I'm always like, oh, I don't know why this didn't work and what am I going to do, but um, the... That's the plan there is that, that we have the new Anki decks in there with the new words. But here's what I'll say, though. If you're concerned about this, don't really be too worried. None of the new 50, 50 words that we added to the um, foundation course are all that difficult. They're all pretty straightforward. Um, things like banyan, half a year, or uh, things like xiaoxue, <laughs> elementary school, middle school, right? These are just like, uh, and then 中学生, it's just that the HK1 has these listed as words that you're supposed to learn. So, okay, we put them in, put them in there. But if you're already in the intermediate course, you've probably already mastered many of these words, or at least have no trouble understanding them. There were a few that I thought, okay, we probably should have had this one uh, in the course to begin with. But regardless, just take a look at that Google sheet. 
the Google Sheet has everything about the word. So it has the word, the opinion, the definition, and multiple usages, if there are multiple usages. Uh, it has living link ideas so that you can do word connection cards. And it also has uh, sentences and top-down words and English translations. So it's like, if you just want one quick spot where you can look through everything, then maybe you can just highlight a few that aren't obvious to you and find the Anki cards for them and add them to your uh, queue. But don't worry about it. If you look at a word and you go, well, that's obvious what that means, just skip it. No big deal. Um, because clearly, you know, some uh, Soren, I believe, said that, oh, I'm in the intermediate course and he was having some trouble integrating the Anki deck. Uh, but he looked at the words and he was like, well, most of these are pretty obvious. And I was like, yeah, of course, because if you're already at level 51 in the intermediate course, like Soren is, then no these words aren't going to be like, I don't understand. How, wh what are these words? I can't follow. No, you're going to get them really easily because they're very simple words so 50 words have now been added to the foundation course and the lessons are added and uh that's a nice upgrade there also as a, as a slight little thing this is just a nice thing as a course creator technically we had about 970 words in the foundation course so we would say like about a thousand words but it always bothered me that it was a little bit less than a thousand now it's officially over a thousand words that you learn in the foundation course so hooray for that now um third this one is kind of a double point. Uh, we finished labeling all of the sentence audio files. I then bundled them together into a zip file that I put at the end in, in all the level reviews starting from the level 13 review. The level 13 review has all of the sentence audio files from level 13. And I put it at the end of the level in the level reviews because then you've at least seen all of the sentences once um, in, in a, you know, maybe several times in your Anki cards, but you've, it's not the first time you're seeing the sentences. It's not, they're not completely foreign to you. And then you get all the audio files, at which point you put them on your phone, you put them on your computer and you start playing them. And listen, once you start playing these audio files, play them on repeat somewhere in your house, somewhere in your earphones, if, if that's the situation, uh, but ideally, what I would say is like, if you have a speaker and like maybe an old phone that you don't use anymore, can plug in the phone, plug in the speaker, connect them and <clears throat> have these files playing all the time. Don't turn it off. Always playing. Never turn it off. Always on. And I, I know that sound might sound too intense, but here's the thing. Just turn the volume down if it gets annoying, but leave it at least at level one. That way, when it's not annoying to you later, you can turn it back up. This type of immersion, I can't tell you how much this will help you with your listening because a lot of this is just about reps. So much about learning a new language is about reps. And so if you hear the same sentences over and over, now when you're just at level 13, you'll get through all the sentences and it'll repeat probably several times a day. But then you add level 14 sentences and then you add level 15 sentences as you keep going and your playlist gets longer and longer. And eventually you're going to have 11,000 files or so just from the foundation and the intermediate course. And that's going to take a while to get through. And it's just going to be very good, comprehensible input that again, can be passive. It's okay if it's passive. In fact, it should be passive because Active listening, of course, you're doing that when you do your Anki. So, like, you don't need to have extra active listening necessarily. Now, you can, if you want, do the following technique to have some more active listening, which would be this. Get it on your phone, open it in your music app, put it on repeat one. That way you have just the file 
that you're trying to work on playing. And of course, the file is labeled with the name of the sentence. That's the name of the file. So you can see the sentence, you can listen to it and repeat, and you can listen and get into a rhythm because there will be some degree of delay between the uh, sentence playing and your chance to repeat it. And of course, if there's not a long enough delay, you can just pause it, right? So sentence plays, you repeat. Sentence plays, you repeat. Sentence plays, you repeat. Then once you feel like I've really got it down, then you just play it on repeat and get into the rhythm of saying it at the exact same time. And you'll figure out exactly how long it is between the file repeating. So you'll, you know, you'll say the sentence, there'll be a little beat, and then you'll, the sentence will replay, beat, replay, and you'll just keep repeating the sentence along with the native speaker. Uh, and that'll be a way to add some shadowing in without too much extra effort. But again, that's the secondary purpose. The, the primary purpose is to get that immersion going and never turn it off. Just keep it on all the time. I'm telling you, it's well worth it. And just turn the volume down if it gets annoying. Okay, final update is that we have new level review pages. You'll notice on all of the level reviews, at the very top it says click here to see your progress on words and characters. And that has will link you to a web page that shows you your progress up to that point. And the reason we did this is because now we can, from our end, uh, add in a new character and it will automatically update these web pages. So it's a huge help to us because, uh, as I mentioned in the previous podcast, it's a big pain in the butt to have to uh, manually add new information to any given uh, level review if we simply decide, oh, we're going to add a new word to level 15. Because then the level 16 level review needs to say that you know, uh, say, uh, that you know 301 words, not 300 now. And so, and then the level 16 review needs to say that. And then the level 17, you see what I mean? So all the later levels have to indicate that this word is there. So that's all just to say that we now have these new uh, level review uh, links in every level review lesson. And so if you want to check those out, you can go to any of the level review lessons and see that link at the top, which will help you uh, see all of your progress up until that point. And the other nice thing about it is that if we want to make any changes to how we present that, it's a little bit easier and we can apply it across the board. And it was actually made by the guy who's helping us do our new flashcard software. So uh, that's great to have from him. So that's all of the updates and announcements. The intermediate course stories are in progress, but they're getting close. And uh, now that I've finished that, I'll be able to spend more time on the advanced course uh, after we do some you know, administrative catch up that we always need to do at the end of every month. So uh, with that in mind, let's move on to the comments and questions. First comment we have is a bit of a success from Gavia Arctica on the community forum. She said, just had to tell this, I spoke Chinese today. Actually had a conversation, about 95% in Chinese, only used a few English words in two or three occasions. I live in a totally non-Chinese environment, so this is really my first time speaking for more than a sentence or two. It was a Hello Talk friend who happened to be online. We had been writing off and on for a few months, and now she called. It was easier because we know a few things about each other, what we work with and family and so on. So it was easier to pick things up from the context and she knows my level so she could adjust to what I could possibly understand. It's great when you find a language partner who can do that. Um, you know, many people can do that, but often you'll find a language partner who's not so sure, which can be great if you're getting a bit more advanced. Like I remember um, 
years ago when I was still, you know, I would still consider myself in a very much a learning phase of Chinese. I dated a Chinese girl for a few a few months and she just spoke as if I were a Chinese person to me, which was it actually improved me, improved my level at that point, but like um if if I had not been as high level as I was at that time, I might have just been <laughs> I might have just given up because uh it was too hard. So like when you're in the earlier stages, it's good if you have somebody who knows how to lower their level to where you are. So that's great. Okay, so let's continue. Every now and then I did not really understand much of what she was saying at all, but somehow I still thought I got the idea. Checked shortly in English a few times. Did you mean? And yes, I did get the meaning from context and maybe her tone of voice, even if I did not understand most of the words. Yeah, that's an interesting point there uh, because you'd be surprised how much you just sort of get without knowing you're getting it. It's kind of a weird phenomenon, but it is true. Like you can pick up on so many other cues, especially if you have video or you're in person. And so uh, a lot of times you can figure it out and that helps you acquire vocabulary. So uh, it's great that you're doing this. Continuing. It feels nice that the sound of Chinese feels so familiar by now that I can sort of pretend to understand it even if I really don't yet. It does not matter if I sound terrible or don't get it at all, I'm communicating in Chinese. I can't even describe how awesome it feels and the most amazing thing about it is that even if it was incredibly hard and I don't have words and I don't understand, it still felt somehow natural. As natural as getting up every morning, starting reviews in Anki right away, and finishing the day making movies and handwriting characters, listening to the Weekly Mandarin Blueprint podcast. Speaking is just the logical next step at some point, naturally. For me, it was today. I guess I'll remember today forever. Thank you, Luke and Phil. Well, that's fantastic. I'm very happy for you, Gavia, and uh, yeah, you, you know, these moments are are you know, the, the, treasure these moments. They you because you don't get them every day. Like you have your daily Anki practice, and you have your adding bricks to the building. But you don't every day notice how big the building has gotten or how uh, far you've gotten up the mountain to mix metaphors. And so, um, congratulations. You know, this is because this is the type of step that makes you go, oh yeah, it was worth it. Because the disadvantage of recognizing the truth of language acquisition, which is that you must get comprehensible input before you even bother with output, is that you can always let that thought creep in, which goes, is this even working? Like, you know, is this stuff that I'm doing even working? Because I haven't really spoken Chinese yet. So, you know, you could go months without speaking and you're not, you're like, am I even, am I ever going to speak? And that little negative thought pattern can come up. Uh, and, when you have this moment, you realize, oh, it was all worth it. It was all happening. I was building a foundation. You know, if you want to build a building, you got to dig down first. You know, you don't even go up for months and months. So it's a good analogy in the sense that you have to build the foundation and dig down even. And it feels like you're even going into a place where you feel uh, like you're not making, not only are you not making progress, but maybe you just wasted your time. Because look, I'm not even moving up yet. But you can't move up if you don't build the foundation. So uh, very well done, Gavia, and I'm uh, very happy for you. Next, we have Lynn Ford on Make a Movie for Bull. She says, I am such a dork because several characters we learned so far in level 14, I'm over here bouncing up and down in my seat, clapping, cheering, yay, I'm so glad I am learning these ones, LOL. I know them by sight as many of these have been staring at me 
on my PM Anki cards, Pronunciation Mastery Anki cards, for a while now, but I am glad to finally be at the stage where we are doing the movie method with them. Seriously, I am having so much fun. Not to mention being able to read and understand sentences. It gives me a really big boost in confidence that, one, this method really does work, and two, that the possibility of being fluent in this language is not only possible, but highly likely at this point. Thank you for all that you and your team do. Well, that's awesome. Another, like maybe at a different moment than we, than Gavia was at, that we talked about previously, but another, like there's just so many success moments, right? Where you can recognize, I won this character, or I won this character component, or I won this thing. You know, I mean, <laughs> it, it's funny that sometimes we have to, we think of enthusiasm at success as being kind of dorky, which is like, I guess the bullies won the framing there. Uh, but still, it, it's like, that's not, that's just, that's just the thrill you get from success. I mean, you've, you've done so much to get to this point, Lynn, and now, you know, you're seeing that you're getting that confidence that you know you're going to make it. And uh, that always happens. If you keep going, you'll eventually reach a point where you go, oh, even though I'm not there yet, I know I will make it. It's like going back to the mountain analogy, you know, you might go, oh, look at how high that mountain is. And oh, right now it's really hard to get up. But, you know, you just slow your pace down a little bit and then you can suddenly get a good rhythm going again and you pick your pace back up. And then at some point you realize, oh, wait, I've gone several days and I've moved uh, towards my goal and I've gotten stronger. I've gotten hardier. I've gotten better at this uh, daily habit of just moving towards this thing that's a struggle but also rewarding and then at some point you go oh well nothing can stop me now so congratulations Lynn Lynn Ford again on vocab unlocked from Xi Xiuxi and Xiuxi Ri she says I'm using multiple pictures for the word review cards in my Anki deck is that an okay tactic I've been struggling with remembering word reviews and so thought about the different elements of the characters and have been adding several pics to help for example Shoshi I added a picture of someone leaning on a tree resting and a pair of lungs shaped in a heart I don't know if getting pics that specific will not help me as much or is too easy in trying to figure out the word, but it seems to help me out a little bit more. Well, the first thing I would say is that if you feel like it's helping you, then, I mean, it probably is. I, it's probably not an illusion uh, that you're being helped by this particular um, way of going about it. So I'll say that first. Um, and certainly it's okay to have multiple pictures uh, to help. I would recommend for Lynn, go back to the phase two course and watch the new videos we just posted uh, this week. And that'll help you get more techniques and you can download the vocab mnemonics cheat sheet if you haven't already and see if that helps even more. But uh, that all sounds great. I have no objections to any of that. Eleanor McComb on casting call for G. She says, I'm not super familiar with mind palace memory techniques, but would there be a problem with me casting my son Gabriel as my G actor. My concern is that I know him at so many ages and he will obviously continue to grow. He's 10. On the other hand, I know him much better than any actor I would cast. And so he's well and truly planted in my mind. So here are my thoughts on this. First of all, I don't think it matters that it's, uh, 
Gabriel at 10 or Gabriel at 5 or Gabriel at 15 when he gets to be older or wherever. It's, you're still going to recognize that's Gabriel, that means G. So that's all it is. I mean, it's a little bit less complicated than it, it might seem like because all you have to do is see the thing, see whatever it is in your mind's eye and go, that represents G, right? That's all that has to happen. Um, I will say that casting very close family members does run one risk, which is that you might have a whole section of things that you don't want to imagine. Um, because if it's somebody who you don't have a close emotional connection to, then you might not want them to be involved in a scene that is, uh, you know, I don't know, either uh, violent or sexy or something like that. So you you wouldn't want to do that. And therefore, you're cutting off a whole like area that you might get involved in. But that said, though, the fact that you're emotionally connected very well with um, your son means that that might not matter. Like the advantage that you'll get from the close emotional connection might be enough to cover up the problem of not wanting to take your mind to certain places, right? So uh, that's all I would say about that. It's, I don't think it matters what age he's at because, again, like he, whether he's 5 or 10, you're still going to recognize that it's Gabriel and then go Gabriel equals G. So hopefully that'll help. Oscar Hagland on Vocab Unlocked from Yuan. This is unclear to me. Yuan ni tian tian kai xin shi shi ru yuan. Right, so I can understand why this might be a little bit unclear. So let's take a look at it uh, and break it down. Yuan ni, desire for you, right? So that that's pretty straight up. Tian tian. So when you have two measure words in a row, like tian tian, because tian is a measure word for a day, right? So that's a time measure word, right? So yuan ni, tian tian kai xin. So when you say tian tian, you mean every one of that measure word, or in this case, every day. So I desire for you to be happy, kai xin, every day, tian tian. And in Chinese, you say the tian tian first. So that's the first half of the sentence. And then the second part of the sentence, shi shi ru yuan, shi shi. So in this case, we have two nouns, but it's kind of like measuring things, like all the things that are going to happen to you. So shi shi, all things, all events, you know, and then ru as similar to yuan, desire. So, shi shi ru yuan. All things are like or as or similar to your desires, right? So, it, this is a very nice sentence. It's saying, I desire for you to be happy every day and for the things in your life to go as you wish. You know, so it's not, a per it's not easy to perfectly translate. However, it is... Um, it, it is pretty clear, like all of the all of the characters do make sense in this one. Like it's not there's no character that is out of place. You know, shi shi ru ru is a key character here, meaning like or as if or similar to yuan desire. And of course, the implication is that it's your desire. Uh, hence, why he starts the sentence starts off with yuan ni yuan ni tian tian kai xin shi shi ru yuan. So the original yuan ni applies to both statements. It applies to both tian tian kai xin and shi shi ru yuan. Uh, so yeah, hopefully that clears that up, Oscar. Next, we have James Snow on It's a Word for Gan. Two questions. First, how come the course has us making props for some characters such as Ban and not for others like Gan here? It's a good question. The answer is that 
uh, some characters are components in others, and some are not. Now, in the case of Ban, there are other characters in the Foundation course that are going to use it. And in the case of Gan, we're, you're not going to use it as a prop until the Intermediate course. So we're not going to bother you with it for now. We will actually make you make a prop for this one uh, in the future, but um, not until the Intermediate course when you need it. Uh, no need to learn it now and then you know eventually forget what it is uh, and then move on. So that's the reason there. And then... Some characters, it's because they're never going to be used as a prop because they're already full. So if you can imagine um, that you've got a character that has three components and those three components never get used as a component in a future character, then there's no prop to make. There's no time when you're going to need a prop to represent the entire thing. So you won't make props for those either. Um, so that's the answer to the first question. Second question. I used the scene of a lightsaber cutting off the top of a syringe and sand gushing out to represent gun. I'd like to use sand as a prop for gun, but how may I avoid getting confused when it's time to learn the word for sand, since I will also imagine sand in that scene? I guess the question is, how do you avoid confusing props and meaning in a scene? Yeah, this is a good question. It's one of those things that naturally sorts itself out as you go. Like you don't end up uh, actually, it doesn't end up actually being that much of an issue. And so here's why, because the word for the character for sand is sha, which is going to have your sh actor outside the entrance of your a set with the water prop and the prop for um, few, which could kind of looks like a street, a guy sweeping. So maybe you have a guy sweeping and the water prop, and you know there's going to be say say your water prop is a hose. You've got the sh actor, a guy sweeping, and the hose outside the entrance of your a set. Now right now we already know that. This has very little to do with gun because you're not in the AN set. The G actor is not there. So, and the props are different. So it's not actually going to be that hard to recognize, okay, this is a totally different situation. Now, also the prop for sand, maybe the prop for sand is like a sand castle, something that's a little bit more uh, tangible. I mean, sand is tangible, sure, but like uh, maybe a sand castle would be a better prop so that it's more, it's just a clearer and stronger image that's distinct and then the the uh movie for sand doesn't necessarily have to contain a sand castle it could contain some other form of uh sand um and so because the actor and the props and the set are all different i don't think that it's actually going to be difficult to understand when you move forward in fact i know it won't be so um it's a totally understandable question to have in the early days, but it's not actually going to be as big of a concern as you might imagine it will be. But uh, I like the where I like where your head's at though, James, and uh, you're asking good questions. Susan Walsh on bonus strategy is everything while learning Chinese. She says, "This is my third language. I took French for three years in school, seventh through ninth grade, because my first teacher happened to be fabulous with a unique method of teaching the language. By the end of my first year, I was fluent. Awesome. Unfortunately, when I started high school, my new French teacher used one method: rote learning. I was so bored by the end of the first month that I knew I wouldn't continue. I dropped out at the end of the year. Fair enough. Yeah, it's like amazing how teachers can just like ruin 
the whole experience when they do that. What I did get from my experience is that I love language and I love the challenge that comes with learning a new language. When I chose to learn Mandarin, I was excited, nervous, and terrified that I'd waste my time and not learn enough to communicate with native speakers. What drew me to Mandarin Blueprint was one simple thing, that I would be able to read, write, and speak Mandarin when I was done. After going through five levels now, I am beyond excited to learn more and to know that I am building a solid foundation for the language from the beginning. Pretty darn brilliant for a quote-unquote couple of fellas who had enough of the nonsense teaching materials out there and decided to change it. Well, ride that motivation wave, Susan. That sounds great. And, um, you know, we definitely are interested in not doing the rote learning thing, having as much of your personality go into it as possible, doing the things that are the opposite of what your French French teacher, teacher did at that point. And so um, I'm uh, glad that you found something that you are motivated to continue. That's great. Next, we have Thomas Brand on bonus helper turning adjectives into adverbs with D or D. So Thomas says, very helpful video. I sometimes catch myself gazing at clouds floating by outside the window during lectures, but I was so baffled at why I'd seen the character for dirt inexplicably appearing in several sentences that I sat with rapt attention in the hope of learning why it was there. It makes complete sense now. Thanks. I, I like this comment from Thomas because it reaffirms something that we really believe about learning grammar, which is that there are certain grammatical points, duh being one of them, and the duh, de, duh idea. There's these three duhs, and they, uh, they all do slightly different things. You have the basic duh which is possessive, like, you know, my microphone. You've got the uh, how did a verb happen by adding, by going verb plus an adjective. So run fast, right? And then you have this, which is the same character for D as in D shang or D tu or uh, uh, as in uh, geography, D2 uh, is map, D shang is on the ground, right? So it's got this D, dirt, ground relation. But then when it's pronounced D, what it does is it connects adjectives to verbs. So it essentially turns an adjective into an adverb. So kaishin is an adjective meaning happy. Kaishin D means happily. And then you say doing what? Uh, <laughs> happily running, right? Uh, 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 happily speaking. Um, and so you get the idea there. So <clears throat> Thomas says, you know, I was wondering what the heck is this all about? And then we introduce the idea. And then he feels like he's got his rap. It's got his rapt attention because he saw it previously and developed the curiosity about why it would be that way. This is really important because a lot of times teachers just introduce a concept that you've never even seen before. And when you just introduce a concept without ever seeing it before, then I, I've said this many times, but the emotional response to it is just kind of like, okay, so there's this thing you can do with this idea I've never heard of, right? It doesn't grab you. It doesn't make you have rapt attention. Right. But when you do introduce it and say, hey, how about we tease this idea? What the heck is dirt doing in the middle of this sentence? And then you're like, what dirt? How does that make sense between Kaishin and Shuohua? What the heck? Happy dirt speak? What's going on? And then you 
that confusion slash curiosity then comes into a lesson about it and you go, oh, that's it, right? That feeling is what we're going for. So glad to hear that Thomas is feeling that when he watched this lesson. Next, we have Ann Giles on Yang in context. The sentence, 我的手机和他的不一样. Yes, I was able to read it too, all by myself. And that sentence just means my phone is not the same as his, right? And um, Anne is, of course, she's been writing some great articles recently uh, in support of Mandarin Blueprint. And Anne, I think, has got the right idea about why Mandarin is so important to learn right now. You know, for years we were saying, you know, there's so many opportunities in China. And I actually still think that's true. Uh, despite what the media might make you think about China, there's still a lot of stuff going on here that um, there's a demand for foreigners to be involved in. So, you know, there's definitely lots of opportunities in China. However, uh, the pandemic and global tensions and, you know, things that are going on in America right now, uh, like, there's just a lot of stuff that makes that feel a little bit too shallow. Because really what we need to focus on here is that there are major civilizations in the world. We might say there's the, um, there's the Indian civilization, there is the uh, Sinitic civilization, the Chinese civilization, there is the uh, Islamic world and that civilization, and then there's the Western civilization, you know, and you can maybe, these very broad strokes, you know, but related by Christianity. So you, you might say that Latin America is a separate civilization, but it's at least connected to the, um, the Western world in the sense that they're all either Catholic or Protestant, right? And um, these major civilizations need to be communicating with each other. And we can't be cutting ourselves off. Uh, that's a mistake, right? And it's a and this is not to make any judgment about what civilization is doing better or has the better values or anything like that. That's not that's something we'll figure out if we're communicating. But what's not going to work is if we're um, just assuming that we understand what the other civilizations are all about, judging them harshly from afar. Uh, that's the type of thing that gets really dangerous, especially when we're in a world of, uh, you know, weaponry like we have now. I mean, you know, the history is full of, you know, I'm quite optimistic about the future. I, I, I'm, you know, one of those people who believes that we might have turned a corner and, um, that the fact that our weaponry is so powerful is the part of the reason that we haven't gotten into another international conflict. However, let's not kid ourselves either. History is filled with people figuring out different ways to defeat the enemy. And uh, when you're talking about countries that have um, nuclear weaponry, you got to figure out a way to work things out because the alternative is so dire that, um, you know, it's just, it's, it's, it's terrible to even think about, right? So we need to be communicating. The major civilizations of the world need to be communicating. And Mandarin Blueprint is one of the best tools we have for the Sinitic world to communicate with the Western world. And I think that this is um, a real opportunity for us to do that. Anne has written some articles recently encouraging people to take the next six months and really delve into Mandarin Blueprint. So I just wanted to take a moment to thank Anne for that. And uh, also, I'm so glad that she's finding her own individual success on the course. Next, we have Jeff Johnson on Xiangfa in context. So he says, while I think Christopher's comment is useful, I'm still a bit confused about something. It seems that we have been seeing a lot of subject plus de 
plus thing the subject owns or is connected to. But in the last two lessons, we have had lines like 想法的人, and he's referring to a sentence that said that is 我认识很多有想法的人. And uh, so 想, it's 有想法的人, and really 很多有想法的人. So I'll get into that in a second. I would have translated that as ideas own people, which I suppose could describe the way that some people obsess over a really good idea, but the translation implies it is people having ideas. So I'm curious about the structure there. I'm also curious about Christopher's comment. I suspect I'm missing something in my studies since I'm not starting to get bits of it like this yet. Well, don't worry. You will definitely get this uh, concept very soon. So your, uh, we already uh, responded to Jeff with a Loom video here, but I thought I would go into this in the podcast as well because duh. <sighs> You really do learn it through context quite easily as you go through uh, you know, and read more sentences. Like This is not something that is going to be all that hard when you see more and more sentences like this. But Jeff is wanting to look at it from the perspective of the word. And really, we should be looking at it more from the sentence structure layer. So this is what's called a dingyu. And a dingyu is when you have a description of either the subject or the object. In this sentence, it's the object. So... The subject is wo. The verb is rensh, know or are acquainted with. And then the object is ren, so wo. Rensh, ren. That's not too much of a statement. I know people. Okay, fine. Wo rensh, ren. Now we've added a ding yu. This is, again, we're talking about sentence structure here. So, han ren. And you could say ren, but you'd usually just drop the du in that case. ren. I know a lot of people. Okay, that's a sentence you might say. I know a lot of people. Fair enough. But that's not what the speaker wants to say. They want to get a little more specific. They want to say, I know a lot of people with ideas. And ren. Like, so, 有想法 means to just have a lot of opinions, maybe it's kind of implying an intellectual, right? So somebody who has a lot of ideas. 我认识很多有想法的人, but 很多有想法 is all just describing 人. And when you have multiple descriptions of 人, you'll connect it, of the let's say the object, which in this case is 人, you'll connect it with 的. And this is called a dingyu, meaning we're going to add descriptions to the object. And more specifically, it's a duoxiang dingyu, which means multiple descriptive um, uh, sentence structure. So, like, you're having you're applying multiple descriptions to the object, which in this case is many, handuo, and youxiangfada, ideas having, idea having people. So I know many idea-having people. And so if you think of it more from the sentence structure level, you'll get that the du is just adding the descriptions to the object. It's a way too intellectualized way to think about it because in the end, it just sort of feels, it'll just start to feel normal. I bet, Jeff, that you'll look back at this sentence in maybe even a couple of months, but certainly six months to a year from now, and you'll go, oh, well, this was really easy, actually. <laughs> this wasn't really that uh, tricky to understand. It just feels that way because you're early into it. You know, you're early into this idea. So um, you'll for sure get it as you move forward. And uh, that's the idea there. Think of it more from the ding perspective, the, the descriptions of 
the object, or in some cases it could be the subject, but you know, in this case it was the object. Next, we have Angiles on vocab unlocked from Google and Gumar. So Google Translate gives these pronunciations: Gumar, Edr, Huar, and War. And she actually she wrote in here a different um, one, but it should have been the one for play. She actually confirmed that later. I'd welcome a little audio or video help with these. Thanks if you can help. Well, as a reminder, and I think it's unit five of pronunciation mastery, we have a lesson on R and R. What makes it special is that when it does not mean son, as in S-O-N, like son and daughter, when it does not mean that, when it's just a uh, pronunciation indicator, it's one of the only instances and probably the only instance of any frequency where you have uh, a character that you add that does not add a syllable. It just combines with the previous syllable. In general, as a rule of thumb in Chinese, every character has its own syllable. So if you see three characters, there are three syllables. But in the case of R, it tends to combine with the previous syllable. And especially with nasal finals that end in N, the N tends to get dropped. Uh, and it the N often gets dropped anyway, just because like, for example, government, environment, you don't really say the N in those words in English and the similar phenomenon can happen in Chinese. But it really happens with these things. So for example, I might say one, one, and, but if I say war, war, there's no N anymore. It just kind of gets um, melted into the R and lost. So that's the way you can think of R there is it kind of combines. Now, how about hui? That doesn't end in N. Hui, huar, huar, right? So there's a little bit of a, a dropping of the E sound there. So you don't really get the E. So whatever is at the end of a syllable tends to get melted into the R sound. And this is very common in Beijing to see, to hear the R hua. But it's also in Putonghua. It's also in Mandarin a, a fair bit. You know, people will really, they'll say wire uh, uh, all the time. Now, one of the examples of a north-south difference here, northern China, southern China, is idr, idr. In the south, I hear people, especially women for some reason, say idn, idn, and not the idr, idr. But both are acceptable, and in Putonghua, in Mandarin, they're both kind of interchangeable. Um, but gumar, for example, I never hear anybody say guman. I mean, technically you could, I guess, but I never hear it, even even in uh, Mandarin in the South. Huar um, is usually referring to a moment, like like or a, a period of time. So yi huar, yi huar, very common to hear it with the R sound. It's not very common that you hear that without it. War, that's an example of the only verb that you tend to hear with the R hua. Uh, it's usually nouns, um, and uh, the the war. Why would that pretty much always be with the R hua. Well, it's because there's another word, one, that means to finish. And uh, that, a, a, in terms of finished, you could say le can be a metaphorical way of saying, oh, he's done for. He's like, you know, he's going to die or he's, he's, he's finished. And that can have a sort of morbid feel to it. And so you want to make sure that you say war for play or like have a casual time, the opposite of work, basically. And so you don't want to say one and confuse people and make the, you know, make you think that you're saying, uh, 
I'm finished as opposed to I'm chilling or I'm playing or whatever. So um, that's the how you say the arhua and a little bit of extra tidbits about it. Gavin Meekin on level 17 complete. He says, it's taken me a while to get through this level, and now that I'm done, I'm feeling quite reflective. While I've kept up with my daily Anki reviews, I've found I haven't been logging in and completing lessons as often as I was in previous levels. Juggling family life, work, and other pursuits mean I don't always have the time to sit down, log in, and unlock new content. And I'm okay with that. As long as I'm doing my daily Anki review and then sitting down and unlocking new content when I can, I'm making progress. More importantly, I can see my progress each time I do my Anki review. The more I review a character word, sentence, or dialogue in Anki, the more proficient my recall becomes. I suppose this is all part of the Mandarin Blueprint journey, and I'm enjoying every step, onwards and upwards. Well, awesome, Gavin. I'm glad to hear that you're okay with the vicissitudes of life sometimes getting in the way of uh, having like you know, your daily learning progress. The, the bare minimum is that you keep what you've already learned. If you use Anki every day, then for sure you'll keep what you already have learned. And so it's okay if you didn't add anything new, you kept what you did know so that you're not losing ground. And that way when you add a new thing, you know, okay, I'm definitely gonna remember this new thing because even if tomorrow I don't have time to add more new things, I still am gonna recall what I learned today. And so you've got the exact right attitude. And hey, at the end of the day, you know, it doesn't really matter. Like, you're going to get there at some point. And so who cares whether it's, uh, you know, June of 2022 or uh, October of 2023 or January of 2025. It doesn't really matter. It's like eventually you'll get there and then you'll have all the rest of your life knowing Chinese. So uh, you're well on your way. Bethany Fair on Xiuxi Zhi in context. Trying to figure out the syntax in the sentence Xiuxi Zhi. 我不吃面包,我吃... And then she leaves the sentence uh, from there. Why does the time, 休息日, come before the host, 我, instead of immediately following it, like, 我早上吃面包? Is speaking of a specific day different than mentioning a time of day? Uh, no, it's actually simpler than that. Just the day and the, the time and the host can be interchanged. So uh, the common Chinese sentence is to say, uh, host plus time, plus uh, location, plus doing what, right? So, uh, right? So it's, uh, I, um, in the morning, I, in the morning, at home, eat. So that's an example of the classic Chinese sentence. And uh, the thing is, you can just switch the time and the host. You could say, 早上. 我在家吃饭, and it's also correct. So it's just a matter of interchangeability. You can do both. Next, Xiao En on Shanghai in context. In the sentence, 我马上上来, will it be grammatically correct and give the same idea if I say, 我上来马上 instead? Uh, that's the first question. No, you can't say that. You have to say the time first. So um, in Bethany's previous question, she asked about switching the time in the host, which you can. Um, so you could say, 马上我上来. That would be okay, although less common than 我马上上来. Uh, but you can't switch the time and the and the... Uh, action and be grammatically correct. So you must put the time before the action. Uh, is fine. Now, he asked another question that's different. So, same with the sentence, will it be correct 
Will it be the same meaning and be grammatically correct if I say 一个人上来了 instead? Uh, so in this case, both sentences are grammatically correct, but there is a slightly different feel to them. Um, so 上来了一个人 is focused on the 上来. It's uh, emphasizing the 上来了, right? Um, whereas 一个人上来了 is focusing on the 一个人. It's just a slightly different emphasis. And like it's all about context. Uh, the when you say you're likely talking about uh the location and you're kind of talking about the circumstances of the location and the person is less important than that somebody came up and then if you say uh you're more likely focused on the person like it's just that's the emphasis in your mind that the the person is there so i feel like the next thing that's going to happen is you're going to go talk to them whereas uh is more likely you're talking about the environment in some way uh so it's a very subtle difference but the point is both of them are uh grammatically correct in that case matt schubert on lianxi in context Hey guys, I might have missed this earlier in the course, but is the shang or bu shang a common way to express if you were able to do something or not? Specifically referring to the sentences three and four above. 如果你联系上了他, and 我今天一天都联系不上你. This is basically like uh, the, the concept of a verb result. So the verb... How is what we call this. And in the word structure lessons that we have in phase two, uh, the verb how lesson explains how this works and also the affixes. So the infixes specifically. So an infix is just either d or bu between a verb and a result to say the verb can be achieved or the verb can't be achieved. And then how you determine the result. It, there's a lot of different results. And in this case, shang is one of the results. So I got you on the phone, for example, or online. I, I was able to successfully uh, get a hold of you, right? So you imagine I got you on the phone. That's why shang is there, right? Right? These are different ideas like or right so like the result so can means to look can means to see right so successfully see can means can't see cannot successfully see can means oh I can see I uh, I'm able to see right and so shang means successfully connect able to connect unable to connect so this is basically the idea there between these different ones um, they're not it's not like a specific type of word what we were hoping for there is that you would recognize the pattern right so that the pattern and I mean now that I've pointed it out I'm sure you will uh, is the infix pattern so you've got which is the verb plus result Verb Lianxi connect Shang means successful you're successful in that connection and then Lianxi Bu Shang means you're unable to be successful in that connection. Next we have Kenner Minor on compound final OU Zo Zola Zoba and Wo Zola. 
Hello, I'm curious about how 在 might fit in as the present tense of I'm going. Would 我在走 be a valid alternative to 我走了? So they're slightly different meanings. So 我走了, the reason why you say 了 there is because a decision has been made. You're leaving, right? So the decision is over. It's a completed action. It, the change has happened. You're leaving. 我在走 uh, means I'm currently uh, I'm currently leaving, which is more like what you might say. Like ima imagine you say to your friend who you're at the bar with. You're at a bar and you say you're saying "我走了," uh, meaning I've decided to leave. And then your phone rings and your girlfriend's like, "Hey, where are you?" And you're like, "Oh, "我在走," right? So I'm I'm leaving to her, right? Because she's not with you, and you're saying I'm leaving currently. Um, so the difference is basically the is focused on the decision that you're leaving and that the decision has been made. And is more about the process. And so think of it like that, and I'm sure you'll be fine. Matt Schubert on low in context. Low meaning building. There's a minor grammar question, but I was curious about this sentence. Could it also be and have the same meaning? The second one feels more natural to me based on all the sentence we've seen so far. Is there any difference? Yes. So the difference here is uh, between the verb shu and yo. And so the sent the, the the subject is li. So within this building, in this building, inside this building, that's the subject. Do now here's the indication of why why you can use shi but you can't use yo it's all about do so so what's the multiplicity here because we're using do to mean all it could mean both if there was two but the point is there must be a plurality of something well there's only one building there's only one inside the building so it can't be the building right um Whereas if you said even that there's two buildings, so you said, or three buildings, let's say, 这三栋楼里都有中国人, that sentence would be okay because now we have three buildings and the do is applying to the multiplicity of buildings and it's saying they all have Chinese people in them. That's not a, it's a different meaning because it's not saying all of the people inside are Chinese people. But in the first sentence, 这栋楼里都是中国人, uh, is emphasizing that, that all the people inside are, all of them are Chinese people. And so it can't be the one inside the building and have do because do does not apply to singular things. And so it must be applying to the Chinese people who are inside. So the point is just that it's not any other nationality in this building. So hopefully that clears that up. Matt Schubert on Meishama in context. For the first usage here is meishama, basically equivalent to meishar. I hear the latter all the time from native speakers, but not as much as the former. Um, I mean, they're, they're similar. Meishar is, tends to be used alone. It just means don't worry about it. And uh, meishama is, could mean that, but you tend to use meishama a little bit more. So like meishama guanxi, right? So there's no, there isn't any relationship, no worries. Or that's, a, that's essentially a longer way of saying mei guanxi. Um, uh, 
he doesn't have anything to say, right? Um, you'll use it more in context, um, but you could say meshama, meshama, right? Like there's no, no, there's isn't anything. There isn't anything. No, no big deal. It's two ways of kind of saying the same thing, but as a singular uh, statement, meshar is more more common, or meguanshi is more common, but. Meishama can be used many times in context, in the context of sentences. Um, but it's not that it couldn't be used by itself. It's just less common to use by itself. Next, we have the submissions for the vocab living links. And this relates directly to what I was talking about at the beginning of the podcast. People who are coming up with mnemonic techniques for remembering compound vocabulary words in our new vocab unlocked lessons. So first, we have Al Burley on vocab unlocked from Hufa which means legal. He says, speed, camera, and sign. You need to watch how fast you are going to stay in the legal limit, right? So that's a good connection to legal, which has to do with traffic law. You know, it's funny because you rarely see people get pulled over in China. This is just a little cultural tidbit. Uh, you know, in America, you get cops pulling over people uh, on the side of the road and you they're like, you know, their lights come on, pull over, they come, walk over, give you a ticket. You don't see that in China, which is interesting. Now you do see drunk driving checkpoints. Uh, those will happen all the time, but you don't see the, um, this particular thing, which is kind of funny. It's a, it's an interesting element to, um, the, you know, life here that there's not really that phenomenon of people getting pulled over, but nonetheless, though, uh, it is certainly a phenomenon in many countries, and so it's a good connection to legal. I like that. And, of course, how fast. Simple, similar sound. So it's a good connection. Matt Schubert on Vocab Unlocked from Hall. This was one of the fastest living links in the whole course for me. I want to be the very best that no one ever was. Ash Ketchum from Pokemon. <laughs> you know, I never really watched Pokemon, but even I know who Ash Ketchum is, despite the fact that I never, you know, was into the show. And that's a good example of a, a strong cultural trope. If you know a character, even though you never were into something, like you never were into Star Wars, but you probably still know who Darth Vader is, you know, it's like, that's a strong cultural trope. It gets into the uh, cultural memory without having to necessarily even be something you took in personally. So nice. Rick Angeland on Vocab Unlocked from Bien, Bien Hua, and Bien De. So although Bien De is given here as a dictionary word, isn't it actually like any verb followed by De, then a complement of degree? For example, 如果不注意保湿人的皮肤,就会变得很干, which means if you don't pay attention to main, uh, I guess, um, moisturization and keeping your your skin moisturized then you'll end up it will end up having your skin will end up being quite dry he's saying isn't this just like any verb where you have verb plus de plus degree and uh you know yeah it is but it's just such a common thing changed to what changed to what adjective and so since it's so common we actually put it there as a word because I mean, how often are you going to say that things change to be another way? They were this way, and then they changed to be another way. And also, we want to distinguish it from cheng. So cheng is another way to use bian, which means to become something. So cheng老师, uh, to become a teacher, right? 
become dry. So that's an example of an, uh, you tend to put bien de before adjectives as you do with anything that's verb de plus adjective, but then you do bien cheng before nouns. So we wanted to have that contrast there. Uh, bien cheng comes a little bit later in the course when cheng gets unlocked, but uh, that's the idea behind actually introducing it as a, uh, a word. Rick Engeland on vocab unlocked from guan, guan xin, guan men, guan, guan zhu, and guan sheng. Living link suggestion for guan zhu. Since I found this word combination difficult to remember, guan to close something within one's attention and zhu to pour attention on it. Yeah, because zhu yi means to pour meaning on something, aka pay attention, right? And so <laughs> that what you're paying attention to, you're sort of by your actions pouring meaning into it. Uh, and then guanzhu is to follow something. And guanzhu is like to follow like you follow someone on Twitter or WeChat or something, right? So it's kind of like I'm closing my my attention onto these people who I follow. Uh, so you could think of it like that. And then other ones here, guanxin, to have a closed heart on something means that you care about it. You're not letting other things into your caring. You're closing it in this set group. So guanxin means to care uh, about someone. And then guanmen, that's straight up to close door. <laughs> straight up there, pretty straightforward. Somebody slamming a door is a good enough connection there. Uh, and then guansheng also means to close, but it can mean to close a door or it can mean to close a window or it can mean to close, uh, to turn something off, right? So like uh, your shoji, uh, your <laughs> shoji, <laughs> shoji, uh, to turn your cell phone off. Right before a movie or something, right? So uh, that's those different uh, unlocked words from guan. Next, we have Jonathan Glazier on vocab unlocked from hua. For me, the image of the classic American football huddle where they plan the next play at the end for the mnemonic, I have given them shouting a jihua as they seem to do, right? Yeah, like a it's like the quarterback goes in, shares what the play is, and they, you know, go jihua and then <laughs> go and run the play. So that's a good connection there from Jonathan and sure, yep, that's what they're doing. They're planning. They're uh calculating and draw and delineating calculating and delineating, calculating ji, delineating hua, their plan. I like it. Next, we'll move to the movie scene shares, which are the full mnemonic scenes to remember individual characters. Will Rayleigh on make a movie from Yang. Now, Yang means to raise and support. Uh, it's often used in the concept of like, you raise children, Yang haizi, pei Yang haizi. Is one word for it. There's a there's lots of words for uh, yang. It's very useful. Ying yang is a word that means to um, it means nutrition. So basically, like nutrition is obviously in the realm of cultivating or supporting or raising your own body. And so that which is nutritious is you know it has a degree of yin yang. The Y E actress in the A N G S living room set. Uh, a sheep is blocking the Y.E. actress's view of the living room. She is too lazy to move. So the Y.E. actress gets Caro, which is his representation of the bottom component, an anime character, to raise and support the sheep up in the air so that the Y.E. actress can see. So, yeah, I mean, uh, obviously Will is using this as a literal raise, like he's literally raising the sheep in the air, when it's more like raise sheep from being a little, you know, like a shepherd would. They raise the sheep from being little and 
uh, raise them to become adults. But still, uh, th I like this idea. So for example, you know, and this is a thing that we really try to emphasize all the time. It's one thing that uh, Jessica M on the course is always giving us uh, grief about, but you can have the wrong concept of what a character means and it doesn't matter because all you have to have in your mind is that the word raise and support comes up and then when you learn new characters you'll realize oh i thought it meant like literally raise and support but it's more metaphorical but you'll figure that out because you still have the concepts of raise and support in your mind and you already know that there are two ways of saying raise and support you've got raise and support literally and you've got raise and support metaphorically you already know that that, that isn't something Mandarin Blueprint taught you. And so the fact that you'll then realize, oh, this is more the metaphorical raise and support later when you learn it in several words is enough. It doesn't matter that you had the wrong concept in your make a movie scene because the connection you needed was already in your brain before you even made the scene. So that's one of the reasons why it's not actually that important that you have the perfect understanding of what the character is before you've seen it in context. It's a thing that is really hard to get people to understand, but you cannot understand what the character means before you understand what the character means. And the only way to understand what the character means fully is to see it in several words and see it in context of paragraphs and sentences. So if you're trying to understand what the character means before you've ever seen it in any words or in any sentences, you are trying to put the cart before the horse and it's not going to work. So like, it's just one of those things that until you've seen it in lots of sentences and seen it in lots of words, you cannot get a concept of it perfectly. So just stop trying to do that. Just accept that this is the part of the process. And luckily with Mandarin Blueprint, guess where we put that? In the very next lesson. So after you learn a character, the very next lesson shows you the vocab unlocked from that character. And then we show you that vocab in the context of longer form stories. Now, the intermediate intermediate course stories are not yet uh, published, but they're you know very soon going to be published. Will Rayleigh on Make a Movie for Jie, which means stairs. The most common word for this is Tai Jie, but it's not the only word. Uh, you've got uh, Jie Cheng or uh, Jie Ji. Um, and so there's lots of different words for it, but Taijie is literally the words for stairs. So platform stairs. J.I. Actress at the E front door, E set front door, a brick wall blocks the front door and the J.I. Actress's way into the house. Kiro, the right side component, comes along and uses his powers to magically spring up some stairs. The J.I. Actress uses the stairs to cross over the brick wall. Simple scene, straight up. The stairs are very clearly the most important thing in this story. And uh, so, yeah, add some sound effects of the walking up the stairs, the stairs coming out of the ground, and you're good to go. Oscar Hagland on to make a movie for, uh, for Tian. And this is the character for that you'll use in Tianbi, which means pencil. A dune sandworm, bottom right component, is sitting in a school bench, top right component, in alchemy class. In front of him is a gold bar, left side component. The worm drools on the gold bar and it turns into lead. The Queen of England walks up and bashes the worm on the head and shouts, you should be turning lead into gold, not gold into lead. So I guess the Queen of England, yeah, Queen for Qi, Makes sense, and uh, I, I like it. Super clear. Lead and golds, the connection to alchemy there makes sense, and uh, it's a connection that was already there. I love it. That's a great scene. John Nemora on Make a Movie for Pi. 
So Pai, uh, this is a great character. It ha it means to like send someone. So Pai uh, Song is the word you would use for a person who is sending a package, for example, like your Kwai uh, Diyuan is a, a package deliverer, uh, the like the UPS guy. Uh, and what he is doing or she is doing when they're delivering something is their pai song. And it like you you could say fa song, but fa song is more like a for example, a text message you might fa song gay beer in. Uh, but that's not a person delivering it. Pai means to send someone out to do it. Um, then you've got pai that means like a faction. Um, like, for example, a religious sect is called a pai, or the left wing and the right wing are called the zuo pai and yo pai. So there's another word for it. But then yet another one is pai, meaning like it's an English uh, borrowed word, meaning literally like a pie, like a pinguo pie is an apple pie. So that's the one that John's going to use to remember this. So one of the definitions for this word is pie. In the bathroom of my AI set, Paul McCartney's pie factory that uses his altered family name, shi, uh, which is the right side, part of the right side component, is having issues because of water shortages. I love it. So I love that Paul McCartney just has a pie factory. <laughs> I'm not so sure about the altered family name element of this. I mean, this is a silly enough story, but like altered family name, how is that visually showing up? Um, because we're not supposed to use letters and words here. So that's a bit that I would be a little bit skeptical of, but it's such a silly and fun scene that you're probably going to remember it. And uh, of course, using this is once again an example of how it doesn't matter if you don't have all of the definitions of a character understood at any given moment. The fact that you remembered pi, you remembered that one of the meanings is pi, and then you've now remembered the pronunciation, the... Uh, the components and one of its meanings, when you see it in context later, you're going to know it's pronounced pi and you're going to see how it fits into a sentence. And you're going to go, oh, here it's clearly in the place of a verb. Not, And this is all unconscious. Your, your uh, language module will figure this out for you. So you're like, okay, this is clearly a verb. All right. Now, uh, so if it's a verb, it doesn't mean pi as in like apple pie. So what is what does it mean here? And then you can either get it through the context or you can learn an alternate meaning at that point. But the point is that the fact that you already had most of it down, the components, the pronunciation, and then one of its meanings means that, and then of course your context that you'll get means that it's easy to learn at that point, secondary and tertiary meanings. You can't learn everything at once. You know, like that's the, that's, you can't learn everything at once without bringing in context and, uh, or at least it's a fool's errand to try to do so. Final movie scene share for this week, Rick Santos on make a movie for joy, which means to pursue. And it can mean literally pursue, uh, or it can mean pursue like I pursue uh, a lady I'm interested in, for example. And so let's see here. So the top component is the OT, the airport robot, and that's his prop for that component. Outside the entrance of the EI set, the jewel actress, has a fictional character actor has a OT that is always on standby alert to seek track and pursue at her command anyone on the road for its fuel all it needs is just a drop of water from her favorite chaser drink joy suitors beware hmm chaser sounds like chase her joy 
So I like it. Rick is, as usual, getting some of the future meanings involved. And, um, you know, so there's this is a great scene all around. Thanks to everybody who gave their submissions this week. And as per usual, you're awesome. You're making great progress. Keep it up. Keep sharing your scenes, sharing your questions and comments, and we'll see you back here next week.